Welcome to Private Banking Strategies Podcast with Vance Lowe and Seth Hicks, your secret weapon to protect your assets and never have to start over financially again. Vance and Seth help high net worth individuals, families, business owners, and investors structure an asset-protected, tax-free fortress for their families. Learn how to keep what you earn and use the velocity of money to create your own private banking system. Join us on this journey as we explore the secret strategies of the rich and political elite and help you take total control of your financial security. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to Private Banking Strategies with Vance Lowe and Seth Hicks. Gentlemen, so good to see you. How are you? We're just good, Eric. Great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's been a little while. I'm excited to get back in the saddle, if you will, if you want to call it that, of the podcast. And you guys have been telling me that there's been a lot of questions. You've had some meetings and, and different types of webinars and things with clients, and they brought up some questions that you really want to address. There's a little bit of confusion out there. Once you get it one-on-one, -on -one, they're clear. However, there's a lot of people that probably have these same kind of questions. So you wanted to address those. And you've given me a list of about 10. Are you guys ready to tackle that? Let's do it. We are. Okay. And, and kind of what spurred this from my understanding is what banking policy is the very best one for me? That's kind of the, the first question. And that's, that's what people have been wrestling with. So kind of set the foundation for this. I'll start with this. And Seth, you can kind of kick in on holes that maybe I leave off. But when we deal with insurance, everybody has preconceived ideas, you know, past experience, what they've been told, everything else. And they're, they're dealing with what they think is very professional people who know what they're doing. But in the life insurance world, most agents are among the lowest paid people, mm. you know, in job, different job industries. Uh, and they're taught what to say. And one of the things they try to do is they're taught how maybe an illustration shows their company to be an advantage. And so they sell the importance of you need to look at these numbers, you need to look at this picture and these illustrations, when in most cases, it doesn't have anything to do with what a person's goals are. Mm. And so everybody gets lost trying to figure out which one is the best for me. So that's why we, we've come up with this topic. Seth, you might have a, another couple of examples or something of, of why, you know, people kind of get lost in this. Sure. Um, and we point back to the seven pillars of private banking strategies, Eric. There are seven cornerstones for which we provide these services asset protection, financial privacy, tax-free growth, legacy transfers. And so, like Vance said, each person has their own individual motivations. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times when we compare one life insurance company to another life insurance company, illustrations, we're way off in the weeds. And they don't, that doesn't necessarily match someone's motivations for why they're structuring this, this plan in the first place. So that's kind of a general overview and something that we have to keep in our awareness is that each person's individual needs is, is going to vary person to person. Their motivations are going to vary person to person. Yeah. Are you using your private banking strategies as a retirement strategy? 
Are you using it as a asset protection technique? Are you using it for both? So there's th- those type of questions are litmus test for each family's structure. Okay. So let, let's, let's take a step back. Considering all that you've already said, seven pillars, how it's all incorporated, let's break it down to the basics first. Explain to folks, what is a banking policy? All right. I think that's a great place to start because we need to understand and focus on what we're trying to accomplish. Uh, Banking policy is an old time contract that used to solve the banking equation in the United States. I mean, today we can hardly even imagine that the United States didn't have branch banking, you know, Mm -hmm. a, a bank on every corner. Okay. But it didn't. As a matter of fact, when I was growing up, they didn't even have a bank in our town. We had to go almost Hmm. 30 miles to a bank in order to to use that bank. So where did Americans park their money? They parked them in these contracts with life insurance carriers because that's where the beginning started. That's where all the money was put. And it was under a strategy of being independent, self aware, self-reliant. Back then when our country was being settled, you know, people could cross, you know, the country, go out into the wilderness and they would survive. Mm -hmm. That's a lost art today. That could not happen today with, you know, over 90% of the people, they would perish within the first 30 days. So let's explain the, the contracts, the policy today. They've evolved a little bit and they evolve all the time. So we've got to talk about the contract, not as what everybody thinks life insurance is, but more that this contract will work as a money warehouse. It's a safe place to store money until we can put it to work. The people that we teach understand that money has no value unless it's moving and working for us. People are shocked when they say, well, I've got 401ks, I've got portfolios and stocks and bonds and mutual funds. I'm sorry to say your money is asleep, 100% asleep. You're trying to earn interest, but you have to keep that money in those accounts. It's the people who have the money that are going to make the money. Mm -hmm. And we use a doubling factor that they'll double money so fast, but they'll only pay the investor what they can get away with and the investor takes all the risk. Yeah. So the components, we we want to talk about that a little bit because these are specially designed today. They have to be put together correctly. And it's all over the board. Everyone uh, is out there now uh, thinking about, hey, maybe I can sell more product using the infinite banking, you know, idea or private banking strategy idea when in fact what's critical. This is only the money warehouse. Okay. It comes along with the strategy of how do we bank? How do we use money? How do we get the money back? Okay. So let's so, stop there for a minute because that that's a great point. I, since learning from you guys, I was shocked and, and I hate to admit that I like TikTok, but I'm on TikTok. Not, not me personally. I just like to watch things on TikTok. And I've heard more and more people saying, oh, you can be your own bank and blah, blah, blah. But it's, it, I feel 100% like you, you were just saying, it feels like a sales tactic. So let's 
let's talk about how that banking policy is put together. Because as, as important as it is for all the strategies, let's talk about how that's put together so we know how it's different than what people are just, you know, that 60-second snapshot on TikTok that is going to change someone's life forever. All right, let's do that. Uh, Seth, be uh, sure to chime in on, on something if I'm leaving a hole, okay? Uh, make sure that uh, we, we have an open mind here. So the contracts are put together. They are life insurance, but we reverse engineer them. It's not about solving your death benefit needs. Um, you're told right up front, we are not going to solve any death benefit needs, mm -hmm. but it will come with some insurance, but it will be the absolute minimum we can get away with without it causing a modified endowment. We call them mechs. A mech would be an, an instrument that is taxable and traceable by government. If it is a non-mech, then, you know, we get all the tax, you know, favored treatment on these contracts. So sometimes that bar moves a little bit. They move a little bit different with each company because government is not organized and they've come up with the mech numbers independently for each company and so it's it, it's very hard and that goes into looking at numbers and things like that every company is is very hard and when you're told to look at the illustrations we're not even qualified to look at it we don't even know what we're looking for we we see a number and we assume that oh that's a good number and therefore it's better than the other companies so let's make a decision on that and it's like the difference of yield versus average rate of return. If you ask the right question, you get the right information. Mm. If you ask the wrong one. So the first part is ordinary base premium, ordinary whole life designed to be paid throughout a lifetime. Okay, we need some of that. Our commitment to our clients is to build this contract so efficient that it will go over 100% which means like in year five, if you knew that you had an investment that was guaranteed for a minimum amount of performance, that in year five, every dollar you put in, you're going to make a dollar five or a dollar 10 or a dollar 20. How many of those do we want? Especially mm -hmm. if it's tax advantaged. So putting one of these contracts together is like setting up a company. And we actually use all companies, all American history of business is stemmed from the experience of life insurance and base premium, base whole life insurance. A premium, or a new startup company usually is not profitable until five years, three to seven years. Okay. And it's that cash value in the base premium that appears somewhere between three and, and five year period. Well, that's only one component, and that's a small component. But the father of this idea, R. Nelson Nash, he did a lot of experience, uh, experimenting, and he came up with, you know what? We're going to buy one of these high cash value policies, and we're going to pay premiums for five years. And after five years, then we'll start the banking process because then there's cash value and we can start using the money in our bank to self-finance things. Well, 20 years ago, when uh, guys like me came on the scene, 
we wanted to speed that up. <laughs> mm, I bet. And so there were, because we dealt with so many different companies and we knew insurance law and, and the advantages inside and out of different strategies for life insurance, we easily came up with, you know what, if you attach to that policy what's called a paid-up additions writer, you can speed up the process. A long story short is that the proper mix would be a 60-40 split, 60% into a paid-up additions writer for only a short period of time, and then the 40 in the regular whole life. And our successful clients wish that that would be reversed. Hmm. <laughs> and the reason is we cannot get the paid-up additions writer to 100% efficiency. You know, it taps out about 92, 94%. In every case, no matter where you go, no matter what the percentage is, it'll never, you know, the amount that you have access to. But it is that writer means it will reach out and purchase life insurance in one payment and you own it outright. Never any more expense from that time forward. So if we were to have a $10,000 premium, 4,000 would be base. 6,000 would be paid up additions rider. And it's okay. that rider that creates immediate upfront, what we're going to call business profit or cash value. No, you know, any startup company, if they could pull 50 to 60% out in year one, is going to say, hey, we had a great startup here. Mm. Well, the market out there has picked up on that and they figured out a way to change those splits, but it takes you away from banking and it puts you in the the to, the now moment. And so you'll see things on the internet that go, you know, 90-10 splits. Oh, you, you need to put more into the paid up additions rider or you're getting ripped off. Well, there's there's no money in there. You know, it, it just it's just effective for the first year, the first year or two. But hopefully people are setting up these strategies for long-term lifetime. Mm -hmm. And these contracts, if they're good, all come out to be the same. I have all the different companies we represent, you know, so I don't get lost in the weeds. I can't tell the difference between, between them really, as far as the performance goes. So then we might add a little bit of term writer. The term writer the effective is buying more permanent and it allows like the first contracts I, I did on myself, I had a little bit of term writer in there. And when I borrowed money out, I could pay it back plus the interest that I charged. So I could actually add back more into the policy than I borrowed out hmm. because it acts like it's permanent that the term writer, and it gives you that upfront boost. We only need that for like four years. And then we leverage off that. We, we go down to the uh, uh, lower amount, what the permanent or base premium in year five. Now in year five, it's the ba base can go over 100%. Now we've got a policy that's rocking along at above 100%. And so the cash value, if it's not caught up yet, it will. It's just a mathematical equation. Mm -hmm. But so, that has let's, let's nothing to do with banking. Yeah. Okay. So you were talking about the components needed for the, the banking policy. And so far, I've heard 
whole life, right? And then you get the paid up additions rider and then the term rider. Are, th are those the components you're talking about or are there additional components as well? Those are the main components. In special instances, there are additional components. All right. You may need waiver of premium. You may need a guaranteed growth rider. So it's all individualized, like you said. Right. Uh -huh. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, it, it, obviously, you guys have covered a ton of stuff before, and this is a great breakdown. And I've heard you say this before. I already know this, but I know this is a question that has come up. Will the contract make you an owner of the life insurance company? Seth, you're qualified to ask that one, answer that mm -hmm. one. Sure. Yeah. We, we, we focus on companies whereby you are an owner, mutual companies, and as opposed to stock companies. And there are a multitude of reasons for that. But ultimately, I mean, the, the companies that we're, that we're utilizing, they're all similarly situated. And as Vance said, over the long term, they're pretty much going to perform in the same type of trajectory. Some may outperform initially, but ultimately years 10 and ongoing, they're pretty well leveled out. Yeah. And, and the advantage of being owners is that you get profits. You get at the head of the line, you get preferential treatment. In, in all these cases, when you go to borrow money, there's only two questions asked ever. It's how much do you want? Where do you want it sent? Mm. There's no payback. There's no reason as to why do you want this money? Mm. If, you, if you borrow your own money out of a real bank, that's the first question they'll ask. And if they don't like the answer, they don't have to give you the money, even if it's in your account. Yeah. So, so that's... That's why an advantage. So all of our companies will produce the ownership. So in addition to the guarantees, these are high guarantees. These guarantees pretty much track realistic market growth after taxes. So we're, we're right there in the guaranteed market. This whole strategy and these policies are based off of the guarantees. So when we project, we don't project the profits that are coming in. Mm -hmm. But the key, and everybody needs to know, we deal with companies that have never not paid an annual profit, and they're called dividends, okay? And they can be added in or increased death benefit or whatever else. Okay. You brought up death benefit. Earlier, you said that you're not solving for death benefit, and we've mm -hmm. talked about that a little bit before, but break that down a little bit for me because the okay, insurance so has a death benefit, right? But you're not right. solving for death benefit needs. Let's say we've got an average 45-year-old, you know, they want to do $25,000 into their bank each year. The minimum death benefit, you know, if they're really good and healthy, might be a half million dollars. Okay? Mm -hmm. And so that's the minimum. that We can't go below that or we break this MEC rule and things are taxable. Also, you can't put more than when you started. When you set the contract, you never can put additional premium in. So if it's $25,000 a year, that's it. Can't put mm. twenty six thousand, or you can't put twenty five thousand and one dollar. We're that tight up against the MAC wall to be more efficient. Okay, so we went back right up there. We don't leave any unnecessary expense. Annualized is absolutely critical. Life insurance deals with annualization, so everybody else pretty much deals in the rear. You know, you invest everything, you get your profits at the end of the year not life insurance. When you pay the annual premium, 
you get the profits and the cash value up front at the beginning of the year. Mm. Everything is up front. But when you borrow loans, they're going to charge you a year's worth of interest up front. The advantage is that as you make payments back into your bank, you want to pay yourself back for those loans. They have to pay back the unearned interest. So there's no difference in the money you're putting back in. You have 100% access, whether it's going for loan interest or wherever it's going. You have re-access to exactly you know, the same amount, if not more. So the dividends, the way we set it up at the beginning is we have it by paid up additional insurance, one-time payment, because that adds to the cash value and that increases the death benefit. I just looked at a 28-year-old. I just did one on on, on these guys, and they're doing $20,000 a year. You know, he's close to a million dollars of of death benefit. But wow. if he just keeps track, he'll have closer to $5 million at death in death benefit because of the paid-up additions. You can switch those anytime to cash, you know, or cash value or whatever else. But this seems to be the best bang for the buck, and that's why we do it. Did that story feel like it was about you? Do you feel like you are generating a lot of revenue but are not moving forward as fast as you would like? Do you feel you should be making more progress toward your financial goals? Do you feel stuck? Let us help you get unstuck. Are you ready to take action and get your own private bank? Please call Private Banking Strategies at 817-200-4777 or visit us at www.privatebankingstrategies.com. I want to go back to the policy illustrations question because everybody is going to paint the best picture that they possibly can, right? And you you already touched on the fact that it's individualized. How much can somebody expect, or let's talk a little bit about what will make that picture fluctuate, right? Because you, you can do a picture one day, but then... Seth, before we even started recording, you were talking about how things can change, and all of a sudden that picture is going to change drastically. So let's let's talk about that. Yeah, Seth, go ahead and get into that for us, would you? Sure. So uh, the illustrations are based on a particular person's health and their premium amounts that they're putting in, and they're doing calculations on a spreadsheet forecasting if things are made, you know, exactly according to the illustration. But if uh, money is borrowed out of the policy, you've taken policy loans out at a certain date, that affects the calculations. When you pay them back, how much you pay them back, at what time you pay them back, all affects the calculations. Whether you pay the paid up additions rider or you don't one year, we call them flexible. So let's say the cash flows tight one year, you've got a $100,000 premium, 40,000 is in base which is a required premium and mm-hmm. 60,000 is paid up addition. And all you have is the 40,000. Well, that's going to affect the illustration as well. So all those variables affect the calculus of what's on that spreadsheet. And I don't think we have a single client that has followed precisely exactly to the T you know, the premium payments and dates and times that are on an illustration. They're more of a roadmap, a guidepost mm-hmm. that help people kind of analyze things. But where they 
where sometimes folks get off into the weeds is they want to compare illustrations and they'll say, well, I have this illustration from XYZ and it's, you know, it, it shows me a far better value and benefit than ABC. But if you recall in my past comment, you know, 10 years and beyond, they're all leveling out with consistent application of your variables so people can get caught up in that you know what's the best for me you have to go back to the fundamental cornerstones and motivations for why you're choosing these structures and and that's that's really what you're building on not an illustration yeah even even like you were saying xyz abc you're talking about between two different companies so i mean Company A, B, C looks great with these variables, but you change some of those variables, all of a sudden the other company would be better because of those different things. And so I can see that this would be like kind of just chasing your own tail by, by having to try to compare these things all the time. That doesn't make much sense. Yeah, precisely. Exactly. And we have a practice, but we are going to go, you know, when a person says, yes, I'm in, I want to start the strategy, we're going to get a policy issued. And so we subscribe to several companies simultaneously mm-hmm. to get quotes from all of them. And this is where the confusion comes in. Usually the one company falls in love with you. And there might be a company that has a heartburn because of the color of your hair, you know, <laughs> whatever it is, you know. So we, we need to know that. And uh, we like to know what the limits are. We, we like to know, you know, what the flavor is of the companies wanting to do business, or put a policy on this person. And that also is information for future growth, you know, other strategies once we implement the program. So that's, you know, one of the most confusing things is that people, they want to do the right thing. And so they fall back on what they've either been taught or they've been told. And as I do research in some of the other areas and some of my hobbies, we're everything is being told or taught on the internet and it's not necessarily (laughs) true. Some of it's downright wrong. Yep. And so we all have to test that out and we all have to do it, but this is where the advisor also comes in. You have to have faith in the ones you're doing. Your homework should be more on what that individual is doing, what the background is, what the success rate is, and what the income rate is. If you're dealing with someone who makes half the income you do, you're in the wrong place first off. You know, there's there's no reason we teach, you know, our people how to rank advisors, how professional people. The nice thing about the strategy, you don't have to do that anymore because you don't need a professional person anymore when you're dealing with your money. Hmm. But Normally, when you're dealing with someone, we do a, a scale of one to 10. A one, and don't doesn't even know the topic. <laughs> a 10, there are no 10s. That guy would walk on water, mm-hmm. that gal, okay? So starting getting paid for your efforts, learning enough so that you can share some knowledge is about a five. Mm. And the and there's good sides and bad sides of, uh, uh, of some of that. A five thinks... They're a nine. <laughs> a nine, yeah. when asked that scale, oh, I'm probably a six. It's just the reverse. Yeah. The eights and nines are the gurus, you know, where you see other um, professionals going to for mentoring. 
And those are the people you want to deal with because they'll take the time to find out about you mm -hmm. and solve the issues for you. Most of the fives are taught what to say and, you know, ha have a program they got to go through. And if they get outside that, they're lost and you have to fit their program. And therefore, he's going to convince you that you fit their program. So you got to be a little bit careful of that. So, again, a lot of this can be, be muddy water, if you will. I mean, there, there's so much mm -hmm. to, to think about and deal with. For those that are listening that are are just starting this process, maybe with you or are thinking maybe I should start it and they've never never even approached the question. We're going to get some contact information here at the end of the show. But I think the, the question we need to wrap up with is what should you be focusing on? What should the listener or the, the, the person who's just starting to work with you, what should they focus on during the initial setup and, and the learning phase of banking strategy without all that other information bogging them down? Well, Seth hits the nail on the head when we talk about the seven pillars. Okay. This is a complete strategy, but it's an unknown strategy. It's, it, it was on purpose left out of our education so that the, the banks and government would have control over our lives. This gives us the control and it makes us independent. So we have to learn. We have to be willing to learn the strategy. It's not focused on a product. Yes, we need a contract, you know, to have our money in a safe place okay that's why we have that contract is that we get control we get tax advantage okay but the strategy of, of using money being able to put it out there our principal and getting back all our principal never spending it again being living the laws of money the 10 percent rule never spending principal working off of well-designed plan are things that are consciously decided upon People who do it when by default, they're not going to fail. But the people who don't complain, you know, why, mm -hmm. why am I where I'm at? Why am I so frustrated? Why is this? Nelson Nash in his book, Becoming Your Own Banker, has five laws. Those are laws that need to be defeated on, on a regular basis. You be, are, If you're able to do that, you win by default because nobody else can. And then the banking equation. People just are flabbergasted that, you know, when we say, look, how would you like to get back 100% of your monthly expenses every single month? And if you got it back, would you then be spending your principal? And they say no. And can you really do that? Mm. We don't even have to be present. And it's not even going to take 20 minutes. And you'll have no shadow of a doubt. But it's not the way you're thinking today. Yeah. We want to end up with Eric... We, we gave them a, pro, a promise, and we're going to tell it to them now. What banking policy is the very best one for you? We're going to share that with you before we end. Okay. But, Seth, uh, tell them, I just touched on why this is so important with the seven pillars. Give, give us a little bit more. Sure. Well, Eric, you've got you know certain high net worth individuals that are flush with cash and they're feeling very unsafe with bank failures, potential bail-ins, which we've discussed extensively, but it bears constant discussion and repetition. They don't want their cash sitting in potentially failing bank institutions. They want them in a, a, a bulletproof fortress. That guy's motivations are much different than the single mom 
who's got $5,000, you know, a year for a premium that she wants to parlay into a real estate investment. So we have to analyze each person's needs case by case. Mm -hmm. And the seven pillars are pretty much a 360 degree paradigm. And, you know, people ask me, well, is it, you know, is this for everyone? I think it fits for everyone, no matter whether you're 80 or 20, whether you're rich or poor, that these these pillars, these seven pillars and motivations will fit within every person's motivations. And then how you structure it, we tailor it towards that person's needs. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, but just to continue <laughs> on that, and just to give kind of an example, like we talked just briefly about term riders. Well, one of the reasons we'll have term riders is for those folks that have windfall opportunities. A term rider is something that you can, you sell a business, you have a crypto investment that parabolically cashes you in like the lottery. Well, where do you put that cash? We just told you that the bank's not a safe place, mm -hmm. but the term rider gives you the option without having to requalify medically or financially to just convert that term rider into your, your whole and life policies. And so you can take that windfall, convert it straight in, and, and you've got a safe place for your cash. So that's just a kind of an idea or an example of, of one of the ways it might fit one of those people that we're talking about. Yeah. Well, I, I, I want to share just a little bit of a story. Vance, you said earlier, and, and Seth, you were just talking about, about the unsafety of banks <laughs> or the questions that they ask. I, I actually belong to a, a small chat group that is about watches. I love watches. I like to collect watches. I don't have any high, super high end watches someday, right? Someday I might, but I just love to see the posts. I love to see the conversations and, and learn more. So I was on that just last week and there's a couple guys on there that are constantly buying and selling watches there. And they, they're, they're collectors. They have huge collections, but they also do a lot of buying and selling and, and bringing watches to the, to the forum. And one of them brought up the fact that he goes into his bank and he's had issues before when he'll try to pull out cash. He wants to make a cash purchase and he doesn't like to use his cards and things like that for that. He'll go to a show or whatever and he'll purchase a watch with cash because it's the, the thing that does it instantly. And he's had issues going in and asking for $20,000 or, or you know, $15,000 because they ask those questions. And so there was an entire thread on what, how to answer if the bank answers or asks you questions, right? You know, what are you going to use this money for? They, they, they can't say watches, right? Because that doesn't, the, the bank could flag that. Well, that seems suspicious, kind of like you were talking about before. So they said, tell them you're buying some appliances for your home. Tell them, you know, uh, anything but certain things. Don't say A, B, or C. And if you don't answer, one of the guys said, I tried not to answer. I said, it's none of your business. And they wouldn't let him get his money out. They called a supervisor over. It was a big to do. It took him like three hours to explain what he does. And then finally, he just kind of had to divulge. This is, I'm, I'm making some purchases for resale. And they're like, okay. And I, I thought that was, it was incredible that, that that's actually currently happening, that they would withhold his own money, but they do. So the points that you've made today are, are golden. What closing thoughts do you have for today's podcast? Besides the fact that we're going to give out contact info. Okay. Well, I just want to end with the reason as far as your explanation it's the Dodd-Frank Act mm. folks you don't own your your accounts at the bank anymore you are not the owner you're just an equity investor the bank owns your money B 
because of the Dodd-Frank Act, and they can seize it and take it and do anything they want with it. For now, they're accommodating you until they seize it, or if they seize it. That's why it's unsafe. Okay. As far as closing goes, we want to talk to people and tell people what is the very, very best policy for you as far as banking goes. Here you go. Now, you need to open your mind and think, okay, because that's what this process is all about. The policy that is absolutely very best for you, and Seth, you tell me if you back this up, is the policy that you put in force yesterday. Makes sense. Oh, I don't have a policy to, I don't have that policy. Oh, second best will be the policy that you put in force on August 30th, 2023. What day is that, Seth? Today. <laughs> today. Take That's action. second best. Oh, you don't have it ready to do today? Then let's go to third best. Then we do it tomorrow mm -hmm. or fourth or fifth or sixth best. See, folks, the thing is, we trick our minds all the time and into the weeds, so to speak. You know, we we put off making, you know, good decisions. I have people say all the time, yeah, I'm sold on this, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I want to get all my answers, everything first. You know, how do you describe water being wet? Mm. Unless you jump in, <laughs> yeah. then you can tell if it's cold or not or experience everything else. So folks, it's just noise until you pull the trigger and you have it in force. If you lose a year, you'll never get a, 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 a policy anywhere close to what that older policy would have done. Okay. In our little book, we show how <clears throat> a penny doubled for 30 times equals over $5 million. What happens if you lose one day? You just lost $2.5 million. Yeah. Okay. The same thing with investing. It's the back end that counts, but you have to start today. That's the very best policy for you. You can always add, you can always diversify but you can never go back. You can never reclaim, you know, what you have. So hopefully, you know, we have our clients listening. They're smiling. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I got that one. Okay. Because the future, they'll change. Since I've been doing this, since Seth has been doing this, they've changed these contracts. And each time they're a little bit worse, but they still work beautiful. Okay. They don't go back to what's in Nelson Nash's book. You know, Nelson Nash's book really showed a lot of high cash value where we're very close to those numbers, especially doing the banking. We can't, you know, the policies are a little more restrictive. They put a little yeah. bit less in there. So, folks, it's important that you understand as you learn and you listen that you act upon what you do and you leave the old behind. You leave the falsehood, the noise behind and you do and you just go forward. All right, Seth, let's give them some contact information so they can get that policy today. Sure. Yeah, you're going to find us at privatebankingstrategies.com. That's privatebankingstrategies.com. And there, when you hit our website, you're going to have uh, an offer for our ebook that's called What the Banks Don't Want You to Know. 
that comes to you in a, in a PDF or an audio version, your choice. If you like to listen to things on the go, we've made that available for you. And if that resonates with you, we invite you to listen to some more podcasts. We've got a whole portfolio of podcasts available to you on the website. You can subscribe in your favorite platform and go through some of that content and listen to things that catch your eye. And if our ebook and our podcast resonate with you, then we invite you to take an exploratory call with Vance, where you begin to dig into how this might apply for you. Ultimately, that that results in an eight-year analysis where there's quite a bit of work done for you, particularly with your uh, financial circumstances, your family goals and motivations, where we've roadmap this out and tell you exactly what to do step by step and get you get you rocking and rolling. That's that's our process. All right. Fantastic. Gentlemen, great information. Thank you for answering questions. Those that are listening, you can always email in questions, get to the website, find some contact info there for emails, email some more questions if you've got more. Uh, and then I just encourage you to to reach out and make the phone call to, to talk to these guys in person. Uh, gentlemen, always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks, Eric. Thank you so much, Eric. You bet. And our last thank you will always go to you listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Private Banking Strategies podcast with Vance Lowe and Seth Hicks. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Vance and Seth come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review, as this actually does help others find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at Private Banking Strategies, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Did that story feel like it was about you? Do you feel you should be making more progress toward your financial goals? Do you feel stuck? Let us help you get unstuck. Are you ready to take action and get your own private bank? Please call Private Banking Strategies at 817-200-4777 or visit us at www.privatebankingstrategies.com.